0: Um, that just doesn't want to be told what to do. And, uh, and submission in life is a, is a growth, it's a, it's, a, it's a mark of maturity to learn to be able to be submitted. And uh, I, I want to say something to you as a preface, preface to this. I trust the people who lead our worship ministry here have spent time with the Lord and they know which pasture the Lord wants his flock to move to on any given Sunday. And so when you come to church, I just want to encourage you for the next time For next time, when you come to church, you worship great today. This is not a correction. But when you come the next time, come planning to be led by the king to some place that he wants you to be. That what will happen in worship, I really believe this, is that the Lord will change you how he wants you to be changed. And it will always be to bless you and so when you attend worship and the guy says okay everybody stand up okay stand up stand up sit down left right fight 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 you know we don't like to be told what to do but what's happening is our leader is is positioning us in a place um, to be led by the king and to be touched by the king. So I encourage you, that's how to think about that time of worship. It's not just a song fest. As much as I love singing Christmas carols, they, they really ministered to me today. And I encourage you to come with your heart prepared to be led by the king to a place that he wants you to go. A- is that good enough? Amen? Okay. And also I want to say one other thing. After service ends, we traditionally, and, and will again today, have trusted leaders in the church available to pray with you. And they're typically up in the front, and um, I trust these people. I think you can trust them to take whatever need you want and to talk to the King. If you don't want to tell them, just say, just pray for me, and they'll pray however they can figure out how to pray. And in addition to praying and 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 helping you to take your need before the King, there there are many times that you'll hear an encouraging word from the Lord. In that ministering time, they may they may have a prophetic word for you, and so that's going to be available to you today after church. It's available after church, so. Don't walk out of here saying, hey, I could have had somebody minister to you. You can do that today, and that's right after service. So today, um, t- today the uh, 10th of December, I chose out of chapter 10, Proverb number 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. Hasn't that been true in the news lately? <laughs> wow. I'm not making a political statement, it's just an observation of our, in our culture where people who did things decades ago in some place, it's finally coming around and it's amazing to watch. Um, anyway, so we're in the middle of a, a series and, um, and this is, these are the things, the passions of Jesus. I've been studying the red words the, in my Bible, um, in this particular version, um, the words when Jesus spoke, they're printed in red ink, so... It's kind of fun just to read the red words in your Bible and to see what Jesus was amped up about. And uh, so here we go today, and one more time in the red words, let's pray about his word. Lord, there is something majestic about your heart concerning us. And all, there are all kinds of voices that speak to us in our, in our world. They speak to us and tell us who you are, and they tell us about you. And, and um, there are preachers and the world and the culture. Everybody has something to say about who you are. But Lord, we turn to your word, the only authoritative source that will tell us who you are. And when we see your actual words, trans, trans, what's my word here? Um, Trans, not transliterated, trans, turn into English. (laughs) When we see them, Lord, turn into English for us, imprinted in red, Lord, it just ministers to us. So Lord, speak to us through your word today. And through this vessel, however weak I am, Lord, I pray that what will come out will be um, your heart. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. So um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, he's he's talking to a lot of people. And so here we go. We're going to leap in Matthew uh, 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. Pick up here. He's talking to followers, right? (laughs) Jesus is talking to followers, saying... The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Okay, so a phylactery was a, um, a box, basically a box. And um, so, and, and when it says he, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, their garments would be fancy with, with all kinds of signals saying to a culture, I'm somebody cool, I'm somebody special, look up to me, I'm a holy man kind of a thing. So their, their outfits were screaming that out and they had what was called a phylactery. It so a little box. There was, they would typically have two of them, and um, one would go on their arm, and it would be held on with straps, and the other one would go on their forehead. Okay? So get the picture. These guys would have these phylacteries, and inside the box was um, pay, either paper, pieces of paper or, or, or animal skin, and written on those would be certain specific scriptures. And they had all kinds of rules. How many, how the straps were to be made, uh, what, um, how many, which specific verses, how many lines per verse on the paper, and they'd be walking around with this box <laughs> on their head. You laugh. I mean, can you picture? What would you do? Okay. I mean, you'd go... I mean I look at that and I think what fools what silly thing to do walk around with a box on your forehead with scriptures in it saying to people I got the word of God on my forehead what do you think about me it's like anyway Jesus is basically calling them out don't you should do what they say but don't do what they do and we're going to dive into this because there is no doubt here that Jesus is passionate about this he is all amped up about hypocrisy and um, I, think, I think probably more than any other issues. my opinion is that he hates this one probably more than just about any other issue. Over and over and over in, in, the passage, in this passage, many people believe to be his final sermon. He preaches, and seven times he says these words. Verse 13, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, the scribes were teachers of the law. They were, they, they were always meticulously copying down the scriptures, copying, you know, and, and counting every character, every, in, in, their, in their language, the characters were both a letter and a number. They had a numeric value so they could verify the accuracy. So they'd copy a scripture and then they could verify whether they had done it with any typos, so to speak, by doing mathematical calculations. They were very, very diligent about their copying the scriptures. And Jesus' word here, woe, is, uh, is translated into a Greek word, Hawaii. And, and it basically, it, it's not so much a word as it's an exclamation. It, it's, this, it's this heart cry of anger or pain or, or denunciation. He's, he's basically, you know, it's this grief and this despair, this, this, this dissatisfaction. He's not happy. You know, woe to you, he's saying. And it's actually a divine proclamation of judgment by Jesus for these guys. It's not so much a warning of judgment as it's it's, it's setting in motion the wheels of the judgment that's going. It's, it's happened. It's not like, this is not a warning, slow down or else. It's like, okay, you're there. And, and he's talking about the finality of, of their future and it's all based upon their hypocrisy. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were probably the most religious people of their day. I mean, they they, they were devout, they were involved, they were... The most fanatical followers of of what they believe with God, you know, and, and and I could spend all morning talking about various facts about the Pharisees, but if I did that, I mean, I, I don't want to do that. You're going to learn a lot about them as we go here. But but the, but the reality would be missed is this: is that you and I, we are in in great danger of being the Pharisees of our day. And I'm not here with you today to highlight the. Greatest hypocrites in history. And I'm not here certainly today to talk about the greatest hypocrites in the Christian culture today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm here, we're here today to search out and to destroy whatever little tiny bit or a large amount of hypocrisy that might be alive within our own hearts. And, uh, you know, instead of wishing this message on somebody else or um, someone else, I think we have to consider that we're the ones. That most need to hear this this word "hypocrite" came out of the acting and culture the, the the theater and and it was it was a word to describe an actual talent you know a person who, who demonstrated the strong ability to play a role of someone whom they were not. I was surfing on TV a couple days ago, kind of click, 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 never landing anywhere, and I happened across this movie, Sling Blade, I'm not recommending the movie, by the way, I'm just telling you, I happened to see it, and for a few minutes, I just was fixed, if you know who Billy Bob Thornton is, I mean, I kept watching him, and no matter what, I could not see him in this character, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, you know that's Billy Bob Thornton, but where it, it, he's, a real, he's a real hypocrite. <laughs> That's what the word means. He's really talented at playing someone whom he is not. And at first, the word was a compliment. It's not so much a compliment in our culture anymore. I, I went on this rabbit trail, so I'm going to take you on a quick one. You know, I was studying this whole thing out, where the word came from, and, and, uh, and uh, I got into a little bit of English history. You know, if you're into kings and queens and all that kind of stuff, here's something that you might like. But um, uh, back, back, uh, you've heard of King James, right? Okay. There was a King James II who was the grandson of King James. And anyway, in the middle of the 1600s, there had been uh, the civil wars and tussles in England over, basically over the church. Are we going to follow the Catholic Church? Are we going to do our own thing? And it really came down to who was top in command? The Pope? Or the king of England. That's really what it came down to. Or the king of the queen of England. So they, so they basically branched off and they had a, they had a split. They, they split. And so that, that continued and it continues to this day. In fact, one of the titles of the queen of England or king of England, whichever it happens to be at any moment, is governor of the church of England. Present title of the queen. She's, she's the defender of the faith. That's one of her responsibilities. Anyway, so back back into the 1600s, they're having this tussle over who's going to be in charge, the Pope in Rome or the King of England, and, and there was this big big tussle was going back and forth, Civil War, things going on. And uh, um, King James II was in rule. He was the grandson of King James, who is the Bible guy. Right? You know the King James Bible, right? Okay, so I'm not going to go down that. That's a different rabbit trail, but we're on this rabbit trail. <laughs> anyway, so... King James II, he's in charge. He's overthrown by William of Orange, okay? And William of Orange was just done with this whole thing, and he wanted his followers who were, what considered, were considered nonconformists. They didn't agree with the Church of England, nor did they agree with the Pope. They wanted to go down a more Protestant route, kind of a thing going on. So, they, so, so this guy takes over, William of Orange, and, um, and they passed something called the Toleration Act, And the Toleration Act basically said, this is the the Toleration Act of of 1689, in case you want to look it up later, it allowed for certain rights, including the ability to hold public office. But a provision in in there was that you had to to observe the the sacraments of the church at least once a year. So if you wanted to hold an office, you had to go have communion at church. Well, these people didn't want to hold communion, and so, um, so, so what they would do is they would go once a year, and they would pretend they had to be members of the church. This has to do with hypocrisy, remember? Okay? Okay. So they would once a year go, and they would receive communion in the Anglican church. And um, uh, um, that, the, the, the priests didn't like that. They're going, these guys are phonies. How can you let them fake this and go take a public office? And um, so, um, of course, the king wanted them to be able to do that. So they passed another act called the Occasional Conformity Act of 1711. <laughs> The Occasional Conformity Act, you know, basically they said you can um, you, you you can't you can't go do this once a year. It's not real. You can't you can't be in public office and pretend to be spiritual um, by being occasionally conforming. So that, that stuck for a while, and then eight years later, as power changed again, they passed something called the um, well, occasional conformity was legalized. So the official position of the church and the government was as long as you pretended at least once a year, you can hold public office. The occasional, So occasional conformity was legalized in 1719. So, so basically, it was normalized to pretend to be spiritual so that you could hold public office. How far have we come since then? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I mean, this is the real deal. In our culture today, I think if you went back 50, 60 years, having a spiritual foundation was considered a, a, a good thing to hold public office. It made you more trusted. In fact, it was hard to hold office if you would say you were an atheist. I mean, I don't think you could even gotten up. Today, having a, a faith is a negative to get in public office. Look at the heat that our current vice president got because of his stance as a christian man the i'm not saying he's a christian man but he got a lot of heat for being called a christian man he may very well be but i don't want to go down that road that's not my purpose today my point is that look how culture has turned this out and said hypocrisy now is an approved thing this happened this didn't just happen it's been going on for a long time a hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something that they're not it's a person who projects something outwardly, but what's on the outside is not what's on the inside. It's, it's assuming a position of piety when, you know, in private, the heart's desolate. And, um, you know, if, if you resent me standing up here and talking to you about the possibility that there's hypocrisy in you today, then you're in maybe the greater danger. Because, you know, I think the the tendency in every human heart is that the more hypocrisy that there is within our own heart, the less I am aware of it and the less willing I am to expose it and to eliminate it. So, as we get into the words of Jesus now, as we dive into Matthew 23, I want you to remember what we're reading here. These are not my words. I did not sit at home in my study in preparation for this message and think up some things to say to you about hypocrisy. This is Jesus talking in vivid red letters in my Bible, but in vivid red passion. And he says seven times, I think he says to us, to me, to you, Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, to you hypocrites. And, he's, and, I'm, and we're going to see here, as Jesus, Jesus talks about this seven times, I, we're going to call this seven habits of highly hypocritical people. Okay? Now, please don't sit through this message wishing somebody else was hearing it. Okay? Okay. Number one, making salvation more complicated than it really is. we see this when we start in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. There's a lot going on here. And Jesus is saying that these these guys were making salvation more complicated than it really is. That's what's going on here. And and salvation is very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. And, and, And those people who make salvation complicated... They're showing, they're showing hypocrisy, Jesus says, in their own hearts. Now, the Pharisees here, they, they sh- it says they shut up the kingdom of heaven. They're not going into it, and they don't let other people go in. These, these guys pretend to know God, but they don't know him. They pretend to speak for God, but they're not speaking for him. They, pre- they pretended to be in the kingdom of God, but they're not in it. They're, they're outside. And this woe that that's, that's Jesus saying here is, is to all supposed spiritual leaders who would make salvation complicated. Spiritual leaders who say, you know, the way to get to heaven is that you do these seven things or that you, you go through these patterns or you pray these specific prayers or you, you, you obey these specific rules. Th- these are false teachings. It keeps, it keeps people from going to heaven. The plan of salvation is very simple. It's, it's very simple. It's repentance and faith. It's, it's repentance from my sin. I acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge the fact that I offend God's law and his heart. And I realize that there's no way for me to earn my way to salvation. I, I just, it's this repentance. I, I, I turn to God and I repent for my sin. And then I trust with faith that the price he paid on the cross was sufficient to cover the cost of my sin. That's it. Amen. It's that simple. If I repent and I believe that, I'm saved. It's, it's just that simple. Salvation is by Christ alone. You see that in Acts chapter 4. It's not, it, salvation is not Jesus plus anything. You don't get to put anything in that blank. It's by Jesus Christ alone. Do not support, do not sit under, do not participate in any teaching to the contrary. It's pharisaical. It's hypocrisy. You can be as good as gold in this life. And then go straight to hell if you reject the Lord's one and only pathway to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Now, verse 14 is a textual variant um, because some of you are looking at your Bible right now going, "Where's verse 14, where's that? Okay, here's the deal. Um, before there were computers and printing presses, the scriptures were copied by hand. You know, you take one, you make another copy, and make, make another copy. And, and uh, we believe that the Word of God is inerrant, perfect without mistake, inerrant in its original inspired version. And what we have today, you, you need to understand that God didn't speak, He doesn't speak English. He speaks every language, right? But the original scriptures did not come in English. They were in other languages and they were translated and they've been translated over and over and over again. And um, um, we believe that there, but over time and through translations, a very, very small, tiny, way smaller than 1% of scripture is in question. Here's what I mean by in question. There, there are some translations that will say, well, this particular verse is not in this manuscript, manuscript, but it's in this one. It was, wasn't in Texas Receptus, but it was in Vaticanus. Or There's all of these places, that, the, the different manuscripts that, were, that, that have turned into this for you, for you and me. And so verse 14 is a variant. And by the way, of that small percentage, that's less than one percentage, I do want to also say to you that Although there may be some disagreement with whether they're in certain translations, none of the of the scriptures in, that are, that, I'm, that are in question have any significant impact on any major doctrine of the church. Okay, so I didn't want to just plant in you some questions about the Word of God. You can trust the Word of God. But let's get back to verse 14. It's a, it's a textual variant, and based on which manuscripts are translated and which translation of the Bible you have, you may or may not have it in your book. If you have the New King James or the King James, you have, you have verse 14. If you have the New American Standard Version, you probably have verse 14 in brackets. If you have the NIV version, you might have a, 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 a marginal note with verse 14 in it. Long and the short, we could spend all kinds of all time, all kinds of time today on that topic, which I love, and I would love to do that. That's not why we're here today. I believe Jesus said these words. He did. Jesus said these words, and so if he said something like this, we ought to pay attention to it. And he says, verse fourteen says, that so the hypocrites, devour widows' houses." Now, that word "devour" is is it means it means you consume something, consume something for your personal use, arr, 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 right? okay like like a wolf on a rabbit okay just or a cat on a mouse first mention of a cat here for a long time there's more mentions coming I just want you to say okay so so anyway <clears throat> by the way I did read an article last week that said scientific study about the brains of dogs versus the brains of cats listen I'll just go, I'll come back to that next time anyway so um so <laughs> <laughs> Completely lost you there. Okay, so okay, so devour. It means you consume for your own personal gain. And the word widows there doesn't just mean what we traditionally call. It. It's any person who has great need and few resources. The hypocrites devour widows' houses. And the idea here is a religious person taking advantage of someone else, using another person, like visiting the traditional, what we picture as, as, as a widow, visiting a, a widow who really doesn't have the money to support a ministry and saying, please, please, give me your money, give me your money, with the ministry, we need your money. Or, or um, using God to get people to do what I want is what this is talking about. It's, it's these pretentious prayers. It's just not genuine. Number two, hypocrites are people who get, get what they need from people even if it hurts them. And they're consumed with themselves. You know, it's my situation, my needs, my desires, my plans. You know, and, and don't get in my way. Don't cross me. Don't show me up or you're going to pay for it. Hypocrisy. Are you ruthless in the marketplace? You know, are you, are you vindictive and petty in your neighborhood? Are you um, self-serving and demanding at church Maybe. Always wanting, what do you give me? What do you give me? What, you know, at home, where are my slippers? Ada, where's my water? <laughs> it's hypocrisy. Maybe maybe you know Christians who have this trail behind them of of, of hurt and wounded people behind them, and and, and they never feel like they've got to go back and say, I'm sorry, and to make it right. Yet, They'll show up every Sunday or, and they're worshiping the Lord and everything's fine. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go away. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and offer your gift. You know, if we hurt someone, we devastate someone, and then go along in life like everything is fine. Yeah, we never feel like we gotta go back and talk to that person and make it right. That's hypocrisy. You know? I'm doing what I want, I'm getting what I want, no matter who it hurts. That's hypocrisy. Whether it was twenty years ago or yesterday, is there somebody you need to go back to? Is there that you need to say something or do something to make something right? Have you injured other people and you know, punished other people for their own faults while you have covered your own sin. If you have, that's like this anchor tied to your soul and it just drags with you through life and ultimately it will reveal as hypocrisy showing up in your heart. Verse 15, Matthew, um, verse 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So the Jews were proselytes; so they, were, they were traveling around and they trying to convert people to Judaism, and they were going to the Gentiles, and they were winning converts, and um, in, in winning converts, the Pharisees were actually converting them to a false religion that did not lead people closer to God. <laughs> it's kind of scary, right? And, and, and like any convert, the convert then wanted to be like the one who led them. And Jesus is saying here, tragically, that these converts, <coughs> being more zealous even than the teacher, become twice as hell-bound as the one who led them and I I realize the implications of this about what I said to the first point, but do not, uh, do not sit under the teaching of of a place where you do not believe that the teacher's heart is sincere and genuine. I, I get the implications of saying something like that to you. I mean, the students become like their teacher. Do not sit under the teaching if, if, if you do not believe, if you're not convinced that the teacher is at least genuinely trying to live out what's being taught. Otherwise, it's nothing more than a rat's nest of hypocrisy. It's a mess. And, um, you know, Jesus goes on, verse, verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides, that's an oxymoron, who, who say, whoever swears by the temple, It's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on the altar, you know, uh uh-oh, he's got to do that. (laughs) Third characteristic is squirming my way out of any promise that I don't want to keep. Wow, you see what's going on here. These these guys were making promises. Hey, count on me. Let's just shake on it. You can count on me, you know, I, I, I swear on, and they would fill in the blank, you know, I, I swear by the temple, I swear by my Aunt Bessie's grave, whatever, I see that in movies, you know, oh, I swear on, 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 on the graves of my wife and my kids. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I guess it makes good movie text, but it makes no perfect sense to me anyway. So, but but, but here's, here's what Jesus says to them. You know, here's the thing, though. These people would say this, and then not keep their word. And then someone would come back to them and say, hey, 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 dude, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You, you, you were going to, remember you said? He said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't really promise that. If you listen to what I said, what I said was, I had my fingers crossed. Right? That's basically what's going on here. That works perfectly good on the playground when you're five. I quit buying that explanation a long time ago. You know, I, I, sw- I swear by the altar, but I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. And, and here's what Jesus says to him in verse 19. He says, you fools, you blind guides. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sacrifice, sanctify, uh, sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. Bottom line, when you make a promise, you're making a promise to God. You know, you're making a promise to the one who sits on the throne. Two people stand up in front of a church and say, I will until my last breath. You know, they're making a promise to God two people in a business deal and they handshake and they say, okay, we're going to, they're promising, they're promising God. You know, when you say to your kids, no, but tomorrow night, you got to do it. (laughs) You got to keep those promises. You know, Ecclesiastes five, I want to spend much time there, but basically God says, "I, I, I don't have any pleasure in fools who make promises and don't keep them. Making a vow and not keeping it is, is a primary characteristic of hypocrisy. And, and I'm basically asking the Lord to search our hearts this morning and show us you know, if we're saying one thing and doing something different. Fourth point in, in Jesus' sermon here on hypocrisy, making a big deal out of little things and ignoring things of critical importance. Verse 23. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now, these these herbs were not considered um, farm produce. They weren't considered work product, okay? And um, so they were not required to tithe of them. And basically, these guys had a system where they had legislated out obedience and um, faith out of the tithe. And people still try to do that today. Jesus is drawing this picture here, this, this Pharisee who's he's so focused on his own little self-righteous minutiae of obedience, okay, that he'd say, oh, okay, here's my mint plant. I want to be right with God. So I'm to give a 10th to God. So here's a mint, Here's a leaf for you, God, nine for me. There's another leaf for you, God. Nine for me, (laughs) you know. And all the time, they've got this big old smile on their face. I'm being so self-righteous. This isn't even required. Other people only tithe on the big stuff like the crops and the wine and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm counting out my leaves. And, and, you know, you could pick the (laughs) self-righteous. And Jesus is saying, you hypocrite. You want to tithe on your little garden. Go ahead and knock yourself out. That's great, you know. He says, these things you ought to have done. He's definitely reinforcing the tithe here. He's saying, do it. But whatever. Don't just focus on the little things of life. You're going to f- miss the big things. Right here, he, and he lists the big things. You know, you, you, you tithe on your mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Justice, mercy, and faith. Does this sound familiar? You know, it might. It might if you read your Bible, Micah 6. um, It's right straight out of the Old Testament. Jesus has plucked those three. He says, He has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do, but, but to do justly, which means to do the things that are right, right? Do justly. To love mercy... That means you don't go around pounding on people for their faults. That's what mercy is. (laughs) And to walk humbly with your God. That's basically faithfulness. Jesus is reinforcing this teaching of the Old Testament. And basically, if we were to say what's going on here in this circumstance, in one word, it would be the word legalism. Jesus is saying, you guys are so careful in all these little teeny-weeny obediences, but you're pretty unplugged about some pretty big stuff here. Now, I want to be at the front of the line here of people to say that, you know, it's really, really easy to fall into this sin, isn't it? We can kind of major on little things when there's bigger issues. You know, it's easy to get get caught up in little things and ignore great big things. It really is, you know, like a parent that gets all up in arms when a little one comes in covered in mud. How'd you get so dirty? You've stained your clothes and now look at the floors and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, but there isn't a comment. Maybe there's not even an interest in what the child is pumping into their soul with a TV set, which is way worse. The other stuff comes off with some soap. Or, or like a family that's never late for school or never late for a baseball game, never misses you know, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, or Pretty Little Liars which I'm not endorsing, that might just happen. What are the three most popular TV shows last year? That was those three. Um, The top, it never misses them, but church is optional. I mean, there's something wrong there. There's a value system that's being taught and a message that's being sent to the little ones and it's just not a good one. It it shows this capacity to embrace things of, of little importance and ignore things of great importance. And we see it in a person who finds fault in one little thing and ignores the, you know, the fifty things that were done right. We strain out the little bugs and miss the fact that there's a camel sitting in the middle of the dinner table and we do that to ourselves and and um, and, and we can get kind of self-righteous and all worked up with all kinds of nonsense and it doesn't just happen in the world; it happens in, in the church too. You know the classic biblical example of this is the Pharisees who you know in their, their, their rush to condemn Christ, they falsely accused him. They paid a bribe to his friend to turn him in. They whipped him and beat him, even though he was innocent. Then they dragged him off to Pilate to be condemned and executed. <laughs> and uh, John eighteen twenty eight tells us they wouldn't go into Pilate's hall because it would make them ceremonially unclean. they couldn't I mean that's legalism I mean it's like missing the. let's let's kill them let's kill them but we have to stay ceremonial clean as we do it (laughs) now before we poke too much fun at the Pharisees you know let's remember who the Pharisees are we're the ones we're part of the organization the church that gets tagged by the world as being you know pretty harsh critics with the truth We're, we're known sometimes as Bible thumpers Maybe you don't do it, but um, we're viewed that way or we're sometimes we're viewed as bumper thumpers. You know, I didn't. I, I thought about this. I thought maybe I better check the parking lot because I don't want to use an example that's on somebody's car. Somebody will go out there, oh, he, he mentioned this. He hates me. I don't know what's on your car. But there's a bumper sticker that just bugs me, okay? I'll just tell you, I hope forgive me if this is on your car. I, I'm wrong and you're right, okay? I'll just admit that right now. But the ones, the one that says... Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I don't think that wins us anything. It's condescending. It's argumentative. I just, I think we could be bumper thumpers. And, you know, there are some really cool bumper stickers that I really like. A couple of you have them on your car, and I've told you, hey, I like your bumper sticker. <laughs> but I'm not the arbiter of bumper stickers, by the way. But we get, we get tagged with properly the fact that this is kind of pharisaical at times. Some of them are really clever, and they send a great message and things that we're supposed to be passion-hearted about and broken-hearted about, sometimes, you know, instead we're worked up about nonsense, little things, fine-tuning. fine-tuning. It's and it's hypocrisy, you know. I mean, I can give you some examples. I, I've, I've written a few of them down. You know, what what version of the Bible do you use? Or you know, what's going on in the Sunday school? You know, like this or you know, parenting styles. That's a big one I hear. You know, and you know, I would never raise my kids. I mean, just. Or, or another one that I don't hear too much here, but I hear it in our culture about the way we dress. You know, here's, here's one for me. I would just say this one. I just want us to be really careful about and that's the Lord's table, communion. I mean, um, I, I've got a thing about it. I mean, first off, I want you to know I love remembering the Lord. It's a big deal to me, but I just hate the formality of it. I hate the gold trays. And I promise you, Okay, I think they're nice, they're respectful, and they're fine. We're going to keep using them. Okay, It's not like they're not evil. But, but communion is not this thing. If you went back to the, to, to the first century, you didn't see the disciples all say, okay, let's line up, pass them out. Now let's look at each other, and when everybody's passing them out, we'll all sit down. Ready, one, two, three, sit. It wasn't a ceremony. It was a celebration. And when it becomes a ceremony in our heart, that's hypocrisy. We've got to get off off of the symbol and get onto the reality thats that we're to remember what our wonderful Savior did for us. And that's an amazing thing. And I think the Lord wants us to keep doing it and remembering it because we have a tendency to forget it. Why would he tell us to remember it if we weren't going to already remember it? Okay, that's a logical argument. I don't want to go down that. But um, anyway, so I just pray and I think we're doing okay but I want us to do great I, I don't I so want us to be a church of religious people that are going through the motions and, and, and doing formalities when we focus on things that don't matter that's legalism It's nonsense. It's not Jesus' heart. So making a big deal out of little things and missing things of critical importance. For number five, we're going to get verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and, and then the outside of them may be clean also. This is a terrible picture. It's tragic. It's a person who shows up with her cup and it's all shiny and perfect on the outside and inside of it's got this toxic, disgusting goo. You know, And so they swallow it. <laughs> they, they put their coffee in there and they got their perfect French press. Is that such a thing? Wow, I pulled one off that I didn't know anything about. Um, okay, so they got this perfect coffee in there and they go to drink it and they don't see that icky thing that's got wiggling whatever... Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's gross. But it's it's a picture of our tendency to be concerned about how it appears and not be concerned about what's inside. And we're like that. And if you don't like to hear me say that about you, you might have more of a problem with that than you think. Concerned about the externals and not worried about what's inside. And notice what Jesus describes as in this cup extortion, which is getting things the wrong way, and self-indulgence. That's, that's, that's greed. That's consuming those things without temperance, without, you know, for yourself. What's pictured here is getting things the easy way and eating them up all at once. It's, this, it, it's laziness. It's I'm so careful about the external, but, lazy, but laziness in matters of the heart is what I put down for this one. That's what I think is being described here. And it's so natural for us to, to focus on the external and totally miss the matters of the heart, totally miss what's, what's inside. So now here's the hard question to hear. Who are you when no one's looking? Who are you when, when nobody can see? When you have the opportunity to, to be all by yourself and no one's going to see and no one's going to know. Who you are at that moment is who you are. All of the rest is show. All of the rest is pretense. All of, all, it's just hypocrisy. That's one of the reasons why, not just because it's a part of the word of God, but, but I, I, with regularity, believe I'm supposed to teach on tithing. Not because it's just a part of the word of God, but that is an area that only God sees. It's an area that only God knows. It's secret. And it, it's a great barometer of where our heart is because, because only God knows. You can, you can serve and you can minister and you can sing and you can, you can do all these things, but nobody knows about the tithe. And if the secret obediences are not happening in our lives, then it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Number six, looking good to others no matter what it costs. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees' secrets, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. In Jerusalem, every year, right before the Passover, they would actually paint all of the tombs white. Because if you touched the tomb... You would become ceremonially unclean, and you wouldn 't be allowed to worship, so it was a pretty big deal. It was, a, it was a nice, courteous thing that they would do. They would paint it and, they, and, and we're, they actually it was said that, that, that Jerusalem actually glistened right before the Passover. they would make it so pristine and he 's saying, "You guys are like those tombs before Passover week, you know, and we can get like that on the outside. Everything 's good, but inside there can be these things hurting in us and that are just going on in us, and we live in a day when Christians often fear man before, more than they do God. You know, we fear the court of human opinion. We can, we can toss and turn all night in bed because somebody has made a false accusation about us and that really bothers us. But we can sleep like a baby while greed is maybe alive in our heart or pride or rebellious, they're just there. So here's a, here's a little question, a little test. Just a couple questions. This is a test. Ready for a, qu- a test? <laughs> do we have to do a test? Okay, I'm sorry, we're going to do a test. What bothers you more? Don't answer these out loud. <clears throat> what bothers you more? Arriving at church with your hair out of place or arriving at church with your heart unprepared? What bothers you more? Somebody seeing your children misbehave or God seeing your disobedience? What bothers you more? A spot in your shirt or a stain on your coat or a lump in your heart? What bothers you more? Three weeks without a, a compliment on your new thingy or three weeks without intimacy? True and real intimacy with the living God. Which bothers you more? Okay. Number seven: pretending to be better than, than others, no matter what the evidence. Verse 29. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. The Pharisees were going around at that time to the tombs of, of, of David and Solomon and Ruth and other people. And they were hanging up plaques, and they were decorating them, and they were putting wreaths on them. And many of these tombs were the tombs of prophets that their, the Pharisees' forefathers had killed, had martyred, right? And so while they were decorating them, they were, they were saying these speeches to themselves very self-righteously about you know, um, making these little speeches. And Jesus, I don't know if he heard them, or he, just, you know, he knows what we're saying, but he, he starts quoting to them the speeches that they were making at these tombs. Verse 30, you go, to the, you, you go to the monuments of the righteous, verse 30, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Back then when all this was going down, I wouldn't have been doing this. I would have been standing with these guys. I would never do that. <laughs> you know, back then I would have stood with These guys. And, and that really, that, that little comment right there is really the essence. It's the bullseye of hypocrisy. Thinking that I'm superior to others. You know, that I'm incapable of sinning the way other people sin. Seeing my brother fall and, and thinking to myself, naughty, nasty sin, how can he do that? Or myself, you know, I, I would never stumble there. I, I would never sin like that. Did you hear about, you know, how could she? How could he? Well it's their own fault. I warn them, if you didn't see that coming, who could I mean those are all classic statements of hypocrisy. This condescending air of superiority and you know I, I pray God by his Holy Spirit would slap that nonsense out of us. <laughs> it's just this ridiculous presumption childishness. It's not God's heart for it. God's heart for us at all. It's hypocrisy. And I, I think from the last message two weeks ago, um, I was gone last week, but the, if there was something in that message, if you didn't get it, I just if, you, if you're here, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it, the, the part that was written on my heart, things get written in my heart, by the way, when I preach. They, they get written in my heart all week long and before then, but, but what was written in my heart is that I am the Pharisee when I forget that I am the woman. And I'll just leave that with you if you didn't hear the message you you can get it but okay enough of the Pharisees and their failures are you ready to hear how to win over hypocrisy are you ready for that okay okay let's get on to something more positive okay okay how to win over hypocrisy it's good to get it to a solution now in the next few verses Jesus gives to the Pharisees the consequences of their unrepentant hypocrisy he's telling you here's what you face now here's what you've earned and you know in, in these verses, you and I can see a way out. We can. And it's really good. Because even though for the Pharisees that are, he's, he's talking to here, and, and their end was sealed, you know, ours is not. Even though these guys were condemned at this at this moment, and, and they couldn't return, they couldn't repent, we can. So, let's look and see um, their consequences and use those to motivate us to be a little different. Okay, Matthew, verse, verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Okay, number one, how to win over hypocrisy. One, fear the future, hell. Okay, now... If you want to send me emails and quote to me, God has not given us a spirit of fear, go ahead and send me your emails. I'm not telling you God is putting in you a spirit of fear. I'm telling you it's healthy to fear the consequences of sin. Amen. Because if that fear motivates you towards righteousness, it's a good thing. Fear the future hell. That's a good reason not to be hypocritical. It really is. Every, every single time, I believe this, every single time a hypocrite drops dies and drops into hell, hell. do you know what happens? Here's what I think happens every single time. Here's what they do. What am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. What am I doing here? Don't you know who I am? Fix this. Every time a hypocrite lands in hell, that's what happens. And and the, you know, don't you know who I am? And then the people that are there too. And this is a terrible tragedy. They're saying, yeah, we know who you are. Do you know who you are? Only now you are figuring out who you are. You lived a life of pretense. It wasn't real. This is the real. Listen, here's something that that you need to hear, that I need to hear. Consistent, unrepentant hypocrisy is evidence that the new birth has never actually taken place. I'm, I'm not judging you, and I'm not telling you this is true about you. I'm just saying consistent, unrepentant is, a, is an evidence of something. And the reason people pretend is that they're hiding the absence of what really matters in their life. It, it, they don't have the real thing, so they've got to fake what they don't have, put on a fake thing. Don't do that. There's still time for every one of us here. This is not a condemning message. This is a message of hope. There, there's, you know, are you going through the motions? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you putting on a spiritual thing? Please, I ask you in the name of Jesus, stop doing that if you're doing that. fear the future. Jesus said, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Jesus is talking about ministers that, that are going to come with the message that these need. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. He says, their blood's going to come upon you. Then he says, the blood of the righteous, Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who, who Zechariah was the last of the martyrs in the Jewish ordering of the Old Testament. He's basically, he's saying, you know, hear the message and repent. This is point number two for how to win over hypocrisy. Hear the message and repent. All throughout history, God has sent messengers to warn and confront his people about hypocrisy. And, and, and we don't want to kill them anymore. <laughs> we don't. I'm glad to hear that because I'm a hypocrite and you'd have to kill me. Okay, So, I mean, we just abandon them or we run them off. Here's here's what we need to know about that. Hear the message and repent. And you can read 2 Timothy for yourself on this topic. But one of the main reasons why more preachers don't stand and preach the truth is because of them. They're fearful or they're unwilling or they, you know, whatever. But the main reason that most preachers won't preach this kind of stuff is because we get the teachers that we deserve. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, we get the preachers who tell us what we want to hear. So the indictment is on us. I mean, that's in 2 Timothy. You'll see we gather the teachers to ourselves that tell us what we want to hear. And that's so true in our culture. So I would say to you this morning, this, this is not the best message that I can preach. I mean, it's... This is not the wisest, most biblical rendering of this passage of scripture. This message is far from perfect. And I am absolutely, there are many faults in what you've heard today and in me as a man and as a leader. But hear this. This is the best, most spirit-filled presentation I can give on Jesus' teaching on hypocrisy. And I don't know when you're going to hear another message about hypocrisy. I really don't. So answer this question, will you hear this? Will you hear this message? Will you search through your own heart and receive the message? Will you locate the lump in your own heart and repent? Fear the future hell, hear the message, repent. And then this is where Jesus really begins to let his heart pour out and shine here. Because I believe he drops to his knees and begins to cry over Jerusalem. Verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Point number three, come to the Savior, and this is intimacy. There's nothing that defeats hypocrisy like genuine personal intimacy with Christ. And, and if you don't have it, look at the text. Look at the passage again. How often I wanted... But you were not willing. I wanted, you didn't. I reached out and you turned away. How often that happened. And you say, well, what if I don't repent? And I think the next verse is the saddest one in this whole passage, and we're, we're about done here. Verse 38, it says, See, your house, your temple, your heart, is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, if you won't respond to his invitation your house will be desolate. That's co- cold, dry, hard, empty. De- and, and, and the consequences of hypocrisy. And um, so the way to win over hypocrisy, three things, and let's pray. Fear the future, hear the messenger, and respond to the Savior with intimacy. Let's pray. Lord, I really feel like, um, you know, you and I have had some chats this week. It seems like there's been a tremendous spiritual headwind in the, in the preparation for this message today and for what it is you wanted to do in me as a son and in us. And so, Lord, as we just turn to you now and listening to your spirit, Church, I'm going to suggest to you that you ask the Lord to place his finger upon whatever hypocrisy he might find in your own heart. Ask him. Just, just ask him, Jesus, where are my inconsistencies? Spirit of God, where, where am I calling for my brothers and sisters to do something that I'm not doing? Show me, Lord, my broken promises. Show, show me any laziness in matters of my heart. Lord, protect us as a church family, as a fellowship, from being churchy and religious, from, from being not right, from, from, from being not real, Lord, with you. God, there's no pretending with you. We just kind of pretend that there is. Forgive us, Lord, for when we do that. And Lord, I just want to ask for something of um, life to be the result of our response to you today. This just, to me, feels like one of the most healthy things that heaven ever does, and that's some pruning. Prune off the things, Lord, that, that you would like to come off of us so that something new and fresh can blossom in us. We can cling to things that we think are ours to cling to that if we let go of them the good things will go away and that's so not true. So Lord, if you need to do some pruning, let it start right here with me. Right here. Right here and here, Lord. I I, I realize people are hearing me pray but I mean this personally, God. And Lord, for those who are willing to be pruned by the king because it brings forth new life, let it be so. And God, I want to also talk to you about people who have maybe become distant from you because of hypocrisy that they've experienced. Someone has hurt them. Someone has wounded them. Someone has let them down. Lord, with you all things are possible and without the need necessarily to have somebody come to us to make something right, without the need to have Someone come to us and help us analyze why we are the way we are and all of that. Lord, we know that there is also a place where you can touch the blind and make sight return. You, you can touch the tongue and cause the voice to return. You can touch a cancer and cause it to wither and die in its place. You can touch a heart that is broken and put hope back in there. And Lord, I ask for those that are wounded and hurt because of hypocrisy to find a place where their God will, will lead them to still waters, to a place of peace and hope and life and new and fresh. And God, I, I, I pray, pray that I want to talk to you about the ultimate hypocrisy, and that's people who would somehow pretend to have a relationship with you, but they don't. There's no one here under condemnation But your spirit might be speaking to many saying, Come to me. Keep your eyes closed, please, church. Give everybody a place of privacy. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord and you want to get that issue of your life in alignment with the one who is the author of heaven and the author of life, now is your moment. There's no reason to wait. We talked earlier about what it takes to be saved, there aren't a bunch of hoops for you to jump through. You don't have to go out and get righteous first. You don't have to go out and become a better person first. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sick. And if you realize your sickness, which is sin, and you can't help yourself, you can't fix it, but you're willing to accept salvation, you're willing to accept forgiveness from the one who did pay the price for your sin, then now is your moment and you can be saved Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I just want to give opportunity, if you've never done that, for you to do it right now. And I'm the only one looking right now, and I'm looking so that I can make eye contact with you and pray. That's it. I'm not asking you to join a church. If you want me to pray with you, so you just look up at me or wave your hand at me so I don't miss you. It's an important moment. Get saved. Okay. Nobody's looking, Lord. I just am grateful, Lord, for this crowd of people who know you and either know you well or some maybe who are waiting. So, Lord, cover your children today. Fill us with life. Fill this place with hope. Fill us fill us with a Christmas hope. Hmm. Courage, Lord, to be a Christmas hope as we go out through these doors in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Don't forget that there will be... Um,